Somebody said, if they said that about Brian, what did they say about you? And I said, when you had the microphone, you control all the information. And so <laughs> they didn't say anything about me. If you've got your Bible, let's go to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. We're going to take in this entire chapter tonight, and the title that I've given to this section of Scripture is, is Pass It On. You know, as we're finding our place there and kind of fixing our mind to receive the message, I want to remind you that Christianity is a pass-it-on faith. It is like a, uh, like a relay race, and faith is the baton that keeps getting passed until the finish line is reached. That's how God designed it. In fact, that's the analogy that's used in Hebrews 12. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so Christianity is a pass-it-on faith, and we are to pass that baton on from one person to the next, from one generation to the next. And if you're like me and you think back over your life, I'm sure that you can remember someone who passed on to you a heritage of faith. Maybe you had a godly mother or father or grandparents. Perhaps it was a co-worker or a person at the church. And that's exactly what is taking place in this chapter, is that there is a heritage of faith that is being passed on from Jacob to his grandchildren. And so with that in mind, let's read this chapter, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee. I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Pandan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan, in the way when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same is Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons, whom God hath given to me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. 
And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn, but thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you, and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Let's pray. Dear Father, once again, we count a privilege to be in your house and to be in your presence. We know that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you are in the midst. We don't have to wonder if you will show up. We know that you are already here and that you have already spoken. So, Lord, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see, a mind to comprehend and a heart to obey your word tonight. May we realize that we are called to pass on the baton of faith to others and that just as Jacob did, we should look to influence those that we have the opportunity to influence. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to this text, we realize that Jacob is drawing near to his death. According to chapter 47, verse 28, he's 147 years old. When he was 130, he left Canaan, came into Egypt, and has been in Egypt for 17 years. And as we read this text of Scripture, he is literally on his deathbed. Somebody has went and told Joseph, your, your dad is sick. He's not, not long for this world. And when Joseph comes and brings the grandkids to visit their granddad for perhaps the last time, Jacob musters his strength and he sets himself up in his bed to receive his company. And what stands out to me is that this man at the end of a long life who is sick and ill doesn't complain about a hard life. He doesn't say a word about the difficulties of life. He doesn't mention, as he's recapping his life, he does not mention the 20 years of slave labor that he served with Uncle Laban. He doesn't talk about how Laban changed his wages 10 times and tried to rob him of all his goods. He doesn't talk about how he forfeited his inheritance when he had to run for his life to escape his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him. 
You know what he talks about at the end of his life with his son and his grandsons? He talks about his journey with God. That's, that's what this entire chapter is. This old man who is about to die has one last opportunity to influence his grandkids, and he talks about his journey with God. He talks about what God has done for him. What is he doing? He is passing it on. He is realizing that eternity is near, that time on earth is short, and that the people that he loves, he wants them to go on in a journey with God like he did. And so he uses some of his last breath to tell them what God has done for him. Look at it with me if you would. The very first thing that he says in verses 3 and 4 is that God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz. God Almighty, he says in verse 3, appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. The very first thing that he says in this last statement to his grandchildren is, hey, I met God and God blessed me. Well, if you're scratching your head and saying, what, what is this Luz place? I'm not familiar with it. I would invite you to hold your place here and go back 20 chapters with me to Genesis chapter 28. And we find the instance in which Jacob is referring to. And as God often does, he shows up in Jacob's life at the most unexpected time. What led up to Genesis chapter 8 was Jacob deceiving his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that should have went to his older brother, the firstborn. His older brother is angry. His father is disappointed. And Jacob is leaving home expecting that that's the last time that he'll ever see his father alive. He is running for his life. He goes by himself with only what he can carry. And he just so happens to get to a stopping point to spend the night in a place called Luz. And it is there at that low point in his life that God has his attention and shows up. Genesis chapter 28 verse 11 says, He lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And so he's not on a spiritual journey. He is on a run for his life. And it just so happens that that's where the sun is going down and he makes camp. He took up of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay, upon, uh, lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. To our knowledge, this is the first spiritual thought that Jacob has entertained in his mind. Now, I'm not saying that conclusively, but there is no other discussion about Jacob's spiritual life anywhere up to this point. But on this night, when he's all by himself and he has nothing left to scheme or to connive for, 
God appears to him in a dream. And God doesn't appear to him like he appeared to Abraham or to Isaac. Instead, he gives Jacob a vision of a ladder that is connecting heaven and earth and that there are angels traversing up and down on it. And he is opening Jacob's eyes to understand that he's just been living for himself and he's been living for material possessions and he's been living for the things of the world and that there is an entire spiritual realm that is connecting heaven and earth that he hasn't even opened his eyes to see. And God is alerting him to it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. What do you call that? Grace. Does Jacob deserve that? Does Jacob deserve to have that covenant renewed to him at this time? Has Jacob done anything like Abraham did in stepping out by faith? No, Abraham's journey was entirely different from Jacob's. Abraham heard the call of God, left the earth, the Chaldees, traveled uh, 600 to 1,000 miles to a land where he was not from, by faith, solely based upon the promise of God. And God says, I will make out of you a great nation. I will multiply you. I will bless you. I will give you progeny. But here we have a conniver, a supplant, a guy who has been out for number one and yet God in his grace says Jacob I love you and I have a plan for your life and I am going to multiply and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to take care of you I'm telling you that is one of the most beautiful pictures of grace you'll ever see and God put it right there in the Bible for you and I to realize that we don't deserve his goodness we don't deserve his salvation that sometimes we're self-centered and sometimes we are self-serving but that does not negate the grace that God has for you and I and it also indicates to you and I that grace is one of the greatest motivators to change in all the world it is the grace of God that compels us to live godly Titus said and when we see how much God loves us when we are unlovable it makes us want to do something that, uh, in return uh, for him. Jacob awaked, it said, out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Jacob had an encounter with God. Now, how do I know that this is the place that Jacob is referring to uh, in his old age? Well, let's read on. He was afraid. He said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called what? Luz at the first and Jacob vowed a vowed 
saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth unto thee. And so when Jacob is recounting his life in those last opportunities that he has with his son and his grandson, he says, let me tell you the most important thing that ever happened to me in my life. I met God, and God blessed me. God found me when I wasn't looking for him, and God changed my life, and he redirected my, uh, my soul, and he gave me what I did not deserve. And so as he's speaking to them, he says, God Almighty appeared to me. I, I met God in my journey of life. And then he goes on back in chapter 48, and he talks about another monumental event that happened in his life, and it is around the death of his wife, Rachel. And so he says in Genesis 48, verse 5, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee in Egypt, are mine as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And so Jacob says, Look, Joseph, your sons, I'm going to take them as my sons. They're going to be like my own sons, Reuben and Simeon, his two firstborn. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, you know that that is the protocol that was followed uh, that when the Levitical tribe uh, didn't get an inheritance in the land, the tribe of Joseph was actually divided into two, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they each got a portion. And so Joseph ended up getting a double portion because Jacob says, I'm passing it on to these boys. But he goes on to say this, Verse 6, And thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine, and shall be called by thy name, their brethren, and their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Pandan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan, in the way when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath. The same is Bethlehem. You know what's interesting about this? Yes, he talks about the death of Rachel and how that he buried her on the way when he came from Pandan Ram. But there was a significant spiritual movement that took place in Jacob's life at the time of Rachel's death. If you would go back with me to Genesis 35, and let's examine this reference to Genesis 35, verse 6. At the beginning of Genesis 35, God speaks to Jacob and he says, Tell your family... Put away the strange gods that are among you. Put away the strange gods that are in their hands. Some idolatry had slipped into Jacob's family. Jacob wasn't living as close to the Lord as he once was. And so his, his children and his, uh, his, his family had began to let some influences of the world around them slip in. And God, in his fatherly way, corrects Jacob in this and Jacob in turn corrects his family and he takes all of those idols those images and he buries them under a tree and they leave them there and they set out on a journey now watch what happens on this journey on which Rachel dies it says in Genesis 35 6 so Jacob came to Luz isn't that interesting there's that there's that geographical location 
that is important to Jacob's life. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan. That is Bethel and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. It's interesting, Jacob was coming back to the Lord. He got away from the Lord. The first time he was here, he called this place Bethel. Uh, Beth being house or house of, El being Elohim, God, house of God. Now he comes back and he renames it, but now he takes the suffix and he makes it a prefix and he makes a God sandwich and he says, El Bethel, I'm coming back to the God of the house of God. And he recounts there in verse 7 that that's where God appeared to him when he ran from the face of his brother. Verse 8, but Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under the oak, and the name of it was called Elon Bakuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Pandan Aram and blessed him. And so there's another reference Jacob had made when he came out of Pandan Aram. That same night, he spent the night in Bethel, and he wrestled uh, with the angel of God until he was assured of a blessing. And then verse 10, God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And, and, and he called his name Israel. So it is at this same place, this place called Luz or Bethel, where God changed Jacob's name. Uh, he changed it and gave him a surname. His birth name is Jacob, which means supplanter or heel grabber. God surnames him Israel, renames him, which means prince, with God and consistently throughout the rest of the Bible anytime you see Israel doing something fleshly or sinful God calls them Jacob and when he talks about their promises and their spirituality he calls them Israel and again God is demonstrating in the life of Jacob you for you and I the dichotomy of the Christian life that we're both flesh and spirit and that there is a constant battle between the two but it's significant to Jacob because that's where God gave him a new name. And then verse 11, he goes on to say, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall be of thee, and the king shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon and poured oil thereon, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him Bethel. And they journeyed unto, and they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had a hard labor, and then she passed away. And so that's the connection to Genesis 48. And what we find here again as Jacob is recounting to his son and grandsons his life's journey, he's not talking about the hardships. He's not talking about the fears. He's not talking about the flights. He's talking about the encounters with God. It was there where God Almighty met with me. It was there where I came back to God and, and, and God changed my name. It was there uh, where God and I reconnected. He goes on in our text of Genesis 48, verses 8 through 13. And he says to Joseph, he says, you know what? the next big thing God did for me was, was he let me see you again. He, he, he says in this section of Scripture, he says, I, I didn't think I was ever going to see your face again. And 
We don't have time tonight, but if we did, we'd go back to Genesis 37, where Joseph was taken by his brothers, sold into human trafficking, and the brothers came back with nothing but his jacket dipped in blood, and they gave it to his father, and they didn't, they didn't create the story. They were so sadistic and vindictive that they let their father imagine his son's own death scenario. And Jacob says, some wild animal must have got a hold of him and, and killed him and tore him up, and I'll never see him again. And that's how Jacob lived for over 20 years, believing that Joseph was dead. And Jacob says, lo and behold, Joseph, God didn't just let me see your face. He let me see your kids' faces. And he gives the credit to God again in his journey as he is passing this on. He's hitting the high points of his life. And every time he's pointing them back to say, God did this, God did this, God did this. Look at the language as he says it there. Uh, he, he says uh, to, to Joseph here in, uh, in verse 8, uh, Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, said who, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, these, these are my sons. God hath given me in this place. And he said, bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I, I, I will bless them. Verse 11, Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. I'm telling you, everything that Jacob is doing in this passage of Scripture is to pass on that baton of faith to his son and to his grandsons to say, get this, God is the main character in my life and in your life and that if you will follow him, he will guide your life and he will bless your life and he will use your life. In fact, I, I, I want you to follow my path. I want you, uh, like my sons, to be uh, in the way of God. And then in verses 14 through 19, he just takes this long look back over life and he says, look, God, God took care of me the whole way. God fed me all my life long unto this day. And he says this in verse 15, he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. The God which fed me. You know what Jacob could have said? He could have said, you know what, boys, I came from nothing. When I left this place as a young man, I had only what I could carry, and I had to spend the night in the field and use a stone as a pillow, and I got down to your Uncle Laban's house, and, and that guy was so crooked that, uh, that I worked for him for 20 years, and, and, and he tried to rip me off every time, and, and by my own ingenuity, I negotiated a deal with him that I would get certain ones of the offspring, and I built my herd out of his herds and I brought it back and I traveled all the way back here to Canaan and over these last years I trained my sons and our herds have increased to where we are the largest uh, farmers or herdsmen in the land. I mean he could have said look I came from nothing I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I made a living for myself and for all 12 of my kids and for all of their wives and their kids. Look boys if you just put your uh, shoulder to it you can do it but that's not what he said is it he said God fed me all my life long unto this day 
Let me tell you something. I, I admire the American dream and the American ingenuity, and, and I am interested in anyone who has achieved success. I genuinely am. When I meet someone who has achieved something, I, I talk to them, and I ask them questions, and I want to know, was there intention here? Was there a strategy? What was that strategy? How did you achieve this? And as much as I want my children to be successful, and I want them to be equipped with all those skills, I, I, I realize, I fully realize that all the success in the world doesn't matter if you don't have God. And if you do have God, then your success is not your success. It is God's gift. Gifting, and it is God's grace, and it is God who sustains us each and every day. Like the wealthy farmer that Jesus told about who says, you know, I've got more food than I can fit into my barns. I know what I'll do. I'll tear these barns down. I'll big build or big build bigger barns, and I'll stock them full of food, and I'll sit back, and I'll say, enjoy yourself because you've earned it. And Jesus said, God says, thou fool, this night your soul is required of thee. Let me tell you something. The only thing that stands between you and death is the grace of God. And so Jacob is driving that home to his son so that they don't look at him and say, what was the successful business model that my granddad followed? He wants them to say, who was the God that my grandfather followed who took care of him all of his life? He goes on, verse 16, and says, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads the angel which redeemed me from all evil bless the lads Jacob acknowledges that he was a sinful man and that he was on the path to do evil things not necessarily nefarious he wasn't out to hurt anybody but he was out for himself and left to himself he would have followed that path, but by the grace of God, it was interrupted. And it was God who changed his life from evil to good. Let me tell you, every grandkid ought to have the, have the privilege of hearing their grandparent tell them that. They ought to have the privilege of getting to hear grandma and grandpa's testimony. They ought to be able to recount how their grandparents came to know Christ. And by the way, if you're a grandparent in this room and you think the kids aren't interested in that, I can just tell you from my own personal experience, I lived with my grandmother. And one of my favorite things in the world to do was to get her to tell me stories. I mean, I would just ask her questions about how she grew up and what life was like and how that she was the middle child out of 11 children. And how that, uh, that uh, in the morning they would eat breakfast and then they would go out to work the fields. And if they had lunch, it was because they took a biscuit left over from breakfast. And how that she said it took them all day to row up and down one row of corn. That's how long it was. And that her dad walked through and inspected it. And if there was one weed in that row, they went back and rode the whole thing. I, I know, I've never been there, but I know that there was an artesian well that was across the way from my grandma's house that when they came in, she said the girls had to work in the field the same as the boys. And when they came in, the men sat down and the women started cooking. 
and that it was her job to go to that well, that, that self-propelled uh, well, uh, to get the water and to bring it back to prepare the food. But you know what else I know about my grandma? I know where she got baptized. She got baptized at Johnson's Chapel Baptist Church on Halls Ridge Road. And I know that it was so cold the day that she got baptized that when she walked outside, her hair was still wet, and she said it froze in her hair. I know where she got saved at. She told me that she was working for Ralph and Henrietta Wade living on Halls Ridge Road and that she was there doing their laundry and that the preacher, Jimmy Jones, from Johnston's Chapel Baptist Church and an evangelist that was there stopped in at Henrietta and Ralph Wade's house and witnessed to her and gave her the gospel. And that day, she bowed her head and prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save me. Let me tell you something. I, I loved hearing my grandma tell stories. And I am so glad to know that she had a testimony of salvation. Because in 2008, I was called on to preach her funeral. And I could stand up and say, hey, look, I believe that my granny is in heaven today, not because I loved her so much, not because she was such a good woman, not because she was a sacrificial mother while she was all of those things. I can tell you that she's in heaven today because she put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And not only did that bring comfort to me, it brought comfort to my family. I'm telling you, Jacob is passing this on, and we need to be the pass-it-on type of people I like how he finishes this discussion with his family in verses 20 through 22. Uh, let's just jump into verse uh, 21. He says, Israel, and Israel said unto Joseph. Remember what I told you? God renamed him Israel, and when he's talking about physical stuff, he's Jacob. When it's spiritual stuff, he's, the Bible refers to him as Israel. And Israel said unto Joseph. And so he's speaking in the spiritual mode here. Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. You know what Jacob is saying? He's saying, son, I, I won't be with you always, but my God will. And you can stand on my shoulders and reach greater heights with God than I ever did. Is that not what we should desire to do for our children and for our grandchildren? Not just give them shoulders to stand on that allows them to accumulate more wealth or more land or more possessions than we have, but that they might be able to stand on our shoulders and reach new spiritual heights than we ever did because we instilled into something from our life experience with God and with Christ that they can take on and live out in their life. I'm telling you, Christianity is a pass-it-on faith. Now, we've only got a couple of minutes left, so let me, just, let me just hit you with the bonus round here. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I have no doubt that you're saved. The unfeigned faith that is in you. And so unfeigned means not counterfeit, not fake, tested and proven genuine. He says, the unfeigned faith is in you that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now it is in you. What is that? That's generational faith. 
That's passing on faith. Timothy wasn't saved just because he was born the son of a saved woman. He got saved because 2 Timothy 3.15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation uh, by faith which is in Christ Jesus. How do I know how Timothy got saved? Because his grandmother and his mother not only modeled it for him, uh, but they mouthed it to him. They shared it with him. They taught him the way of faith. They taught him the scriptures and as a young boy he put his faith and trust in Christ because his grandmother and his mother passed the baton on to him but get this it's not just familial faith that is it's not just to be passed on from father to son or grandmother to a daughter to grandson because in that same book of second Timothy Paul says to Timothy, The things which you've learned of me among many witnesses, the same teach to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so there he tells Timothy, Look, we're supposed to pass it on not just to the family, but to other people that God brings into our path. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, there's four generations of Christians. There is Paul, there is Timothy, there are faithful men, and there are others. And so, again, we're reminded of the fact that we are supposed to be passing on our faith. That what we pass on shouldn't be uh, recounting all the hardships that we've had in life or the grudge that we're still holding against neighbor so-and-so, you know, because of what happened 25 years ago. But we ought to be able to sit down with the people around us and say, let me tell you about when I met God. Let me tell you about when I came back to God. Let me tell you about how God was there when my spouse passed away. Let me tell you about how God has taken care of me time after time after time after time. Romans 1.17 says this, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. From faith to faith. Do you have the faith? Are you passing it on? If you're not, let's find somebody that we can pass it on to this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this record of a grandfather who was passing on the baton of faith to his grandsons. Thank you, Lord, that many people in this room are in the line uh, of a heritage of faith that they didn't have to start from ground zero, but they had perhaps parents or grandparents who were Christians, and uh, they stand on their shoulders. Lord, some of us are first-generation Christians. Lord, may we realize that no matter where we are in the lineup, there is somebody waiting for us to hand the baton off to, and that we ought to be faithful and we ought to be looking around, not just in our family, but in our circle of influence, among our co-workers, uh, among other people that come through the doors of this church, uh, that we can influence with the faith, and we can encourage them by relaying our journey to them. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to be passing on Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.